Please stand for the reading of God's holy word. We will read again for our consideration just verses 11 through 14 of 1 John 5. Hear now God's holy word once again. And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your promise that if we ask anything according to your will, we have it. We thank you for Jesus Christ in whom we have everlasting life. Bless us in the consideration of this privilege we've been given. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. We continue in our series on prayer. The Lord's Prayer we'll consider in more detail in the weeks to come. Now we're considering the rule that God has given for our prayer. Again, verse 11 in this chapter, 1 John 5, this is God's record, this is his witness, this is his testimony, this is what God affirms as truth in the scriptures through the prophets and apostles. What is it? That God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. We might call this a brief summary of the gospel. God has given us eternal life. Where do you find it? In Christ. He that hath the Son hath life. This is the Son of God testified by God in Scripture that you must believe this record of God. And if you believe this record, you have the Son. You cannot have the Son and not believe the doctrines. It doesn't work that way. That's why he says, here's God's record. Receive his record. This is what he has borne witness from heaven and upon the earth. Hear what he has said, and you have life. But he that hath not the Son hath not life. Again, stated negatively. He tells us his purpose in verse 13. These things have I written unto you. Here's this epistle. I've written to you all five chapters as we denote it. All of this is written to you with a purpose, that ye may know that ye have eternal life. Come to a settled knowledge. It's the perfect tense. Come to a completed action that continues on. You have come to know and you continue to know that you have right now in your possession eternal life. And again, the second purpose that ye may believe or continue to believe on the name of the Son of God. Now notice verse 14. And this is the confidence, this assurance that we possess eternal life, this ongoing faith in the name of the Son of God. This is the confidence, the boldness, the assuredness when we don't have reservations in our speech that we make to God. This is our confidence that we have in Him. In whom? Well, in Christ, the Son of God. We are united to Christ. God has given us promises in his Son. And these promises, because of our union with Jesus Christ as our mediator, as our high priest, as our head and king, and we, his body, can come confidently before God 
with our requests. Now this word, ask, that if we ask, means to ask with urgency, even to the point of demanding. This is what Lo Nita say in their lexicon, a plead, an asking, a demanding. And he says, if we ask anything, this is indefinite, anything at all, someone or something, anyone or anything, somebody or anybody, anything that we come before God, generally speaking, we come to God with these requests, with these askings, even you might say with this urgency of asking. But then he particularizes it according to his will. So yes, there is an indefinite whatsoever we ask, anything that we ask, it must be according to. The Greek word is kata, which can have a reference to various things, and it does within the New Testament. It can refer to places, to times, uh, two at a time going into a place, two or three at a time, Paul says, when they judge the prophets, they're to do it two or three at a time. It can refer to a purpose or a goal. But here, I believe this is the correct portion of the meaning to indicate a standard or norm in agreement with, corresponding to, in conformity with, to indicate the reason because of a thing, in accordance with, on the basis of, as a result of, or it can even say relationships, in respect to or in relation to. So if we ask and make an urgent request of God of anything in general, we must do it with agreement to, corresponding to, in conformity with, on the basis of what? His will. God's will. Now, when we read of the will of God in the Bible, we often read of his decree. God has willed thus and such to be the case. Remember, if we're to go and do business, we say, if God is willing. If it is his will, we shall go and do business for a year and go here or there. If he has decreed it to be so, it will come to pass. But we also use the will of God of that which he has commanded. This is the will of God, Paul says, even your sanctification, that you abstain from fornication. Which will of God is this here? Please open to Deuteronomy chapter 29. Deuteronomy, the second law, the repetition of God's law, gives us in chapter 29 a basic framework to think about our lives and what God requires us to do. Deuteronomy 29, verse 29. The secret things belong unto the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong unto us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. Now, are we to pray according to the decree of God that he's never told us a peep about? We don't know anything about it, and we're supposed to pray according to that will. Is that? Yeah, that's impossible, isn't it? You must be omniscient, or you must have secret means by which you peer into the mind of God 
to discern what's going to happen in the future. You know what we call that? Witchcraft. That's where people attempt to peer into the mind of God by what? The entrails of an animal or by praying to departed deities or saints or by praying to angels or by coming in some way to some kind of necromancy or looking at signs, looking at the stars above astro... What do they call that? Astrology? Where people want to tell you your future or they give you a fortune cookie and you find out your future in a fortune cookie? That's what they want. They want to know what is the future. Can I know the providence of God? Is God telling us, listen, the secret things belong unto the Lord our God, except when you're praying. Then you should pray according to my secret decree that I've told you nothing about. Doesn't seem to fit, does it? Those things which are revealed belong unto us and to our children forever. Even when we pray, the things revealed belong unto us so that we may do all the words of this law, including our prayers. Please turn over to Isaiah chapter 8, page 714. Isaiah chapter 8, page 714. We'll look at verses 19 and 20. Now there's much that could be said concerning the former portion of this passage about the disciples and the law and the testimony. But here notice verse 19. And when they shall say unto you, seek unto them that have familiar spirits and unto wizards that peep and that mutter. Should not a people seek unto their God for the living to the dead, to the law and to the testimony if they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. Now notice here. Some people wanted to know the will of God that was secret. And where did they go to find out this secret will of God? Well, they went to wizards. Those that had familiar spirits. Those that peeped and muttered. They say their little form of words. It's called an incantation, by the way. Hocus pocus, like the priests at the mass used to say. That's where they got the word from, hoc est. They were speaking Latin. Nobody knew what they were saying. So they said, it sounds like hocus what? Hocus pocus you're talking about? Magic? Where you turn bread into God? Is that what you're doing? You're peeping and muttering? And he says, you're not to go seeking to the dead. You're not to go to those who are past and departed. Remember, Saul tried that with Samuel. Where did he go? He went to a witch at Endor. This is a male witch, a wizard. They peep. They have familiar spirits. They can get you in touch with the dead. They talk to demons. They can get you information. What are you supposed to do? Go and peer into the secret will of God? No. To the law and to the testimony. If they speak not according to this word, it is because what? There's no light in them. There's no revelation. There's no truth. They are not of God. They are of the world, and therefore the world heareth them, John says. We are to go to the law and to the testimony. If we want to pray according to the will of God, we must know the law and the testimony and the apostles. And this is actually in the context, the testimony is a reference to the writings of the apostles if you look at the context of Isaiah 8. But in any case, 
those things revealed that God has said are his will. Please turn over to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, concerning the will of God. We'll look at verses 6 through 8. These are the parting words that our Lord says. Acts 1 verse 6. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Notice, what are the secret things? Well, we want to know, Lord, can you please tell us Are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel at this time? Are we going to rule over our own nation? Will you push out the Romans now? Can we be done with them already? And what does he say? Do your duty. Those secret things you want to peer into about God's will, you don't have a right to know that. Don't ask about it. Busy yourself with what? The things revealed. And you find this in the book of Acts. When you find the apostles praying, what are they praying for? This revealed will of God. We are going to receive power. So what do they say? Lord, give us your power. Hear their threats. Give your servants boldness that we may speak and witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and under the uttermost parts of the earth. That's what they pray for. That God would fulfill his will that he has revealed to them. Now, the will of God is what he has revealed to us as to his purpose and as to our duty. The will of God does not encompass some things in this context of what we're to pray for. It doesn't include some things never revealed by God. And this is a huge problem when people pray. They want to pray according to the will of God, So they try to discern through the course of providence and the entrails of the animals and the fortune cookie. They try to figure out, well, what is it that God has planned for me? And then I'll pray according to that. Is that how you're supposed to pray? No. According to the revelation, what secret things has God actually opened up and revealed to you? Because you know he has. There are certain things about the future of this planet and of the progress of the gospel and of your personal Christian life that God has been pleased to reveal in the Bible. We've been reading about some of those in 1 John, haven't we? God has said certain things about our Christian experience and life, about our faith and the duty God requires. That's God's will, and we can pray in accordance with it. Now, the will of God in Revelation some, what has he said is our duty as well? Not just the things that he said in the future, this will occur, and these things will happen if you believe. But he's also said, these are the things you shall do. That's his will of precept. We can pray according to that as well. We can pray that God would open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things out of his law. We can pray, God, establish my footsteps that they may go in the path of your commandments. We're taught to pray that way in Psalm 119. 
So we may pray according to the will of God in at least two ways. One, pray for his commandments to be performed by his people, his gospel to be believed in the world, that what he has promised concerning the future will come to pass. Then notice, let's turn back to 1 John, please, page 1232. What happens when we pray according to God's will, in accordance with what he has revealed concerning the future or our duty? He heareth us. He does not turn a deaf ear to such cries. Well, why would he? It's what he says he's going to do anyways. It's what he's revealed to us. Why would he say, I'm not going to listen to that prayer? I don't want to hear a prayer about my kingdom coming. You think he's not going to answer such prayers? He will. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my supplication. In thy faithfulness, answer me and in thy righteousness. That's what it means for God to hear. It's that he answers. We have the petitions that we desired of him, verse 15 says. I note then this doctrine. Prayer is to be offered according to God's revealed will. Prayer is to be offered according to God's revealed will. Now, in explanation of this, what has God promised? What has he commanded? That's his revealed will. What has he said he will do? What has he required us to do? We may safely pray any of those things without any exceptions offered. God has said his will is our sanctification. You can ask God to sanctify you without any qualifications like, if it be your will, will you sanctify me? Do you think God wants to hear that kind of prayer? No, because he already told you it's his will. So you may pray to God, God, please sanctify me urgently, change me, transform me into your image. That's a prayer he will answer because it's obvious that it's his will. He has told you that it is. If we come to God with requests that he has not made promise of, what is it? Well, it's will worship. It's where I make up the will of God and present it to him and say, God, put your stamp of approval on what I want. Do you remember what James says? Why is it that you ask and you don't have? Because you want to spend it on your own lusts. It's your desire that drives you, not God's. God will not hear such prayers. That is man imposing upon God. But to the best of our knowledge, if a matter is lawful, we may make a request to God based upon his general promise. Let me give you an example. A man is to pray to God, give us this day our daily bread, right? Now, has God said, I will give you your daily bread by this job, at this place, at this time? No, he hasn't. So can you pray, God, give me my daily bread? Yes. Can you say, God, you need to give me this job at this place. Give me this job right now, urgently. I ask you, God, and you said it was according to your will, so now you have to give it to me. No. If it be your will, will you give me this job at this place at this time, with making this amount of money, because I need that for this over here? That's lawful to say that. It is not lawful to unqualifiedly come into God's presence and make requests and say, well, see, this is your will, God. You showed it to me by your providence, and now I'm presenting it to you, chewed, swallowed, and digested. You better answer it. That's what we call 
name it and claim it. Well, I'm going to have a mansion. It's God's will that you have a private jet. Is it God's will? Has he promised to give you a private jet? I'm interested in where in scripture it says that, because I know he'll provide my daily bread and I don't have to qualify that request. If there's some reason you want to ask God, may I please have a mansion, if it be your will. Maybe you're a king. Maybe you need a mansion because you need all kinds of servants and you need to entertain foreign guests. That's probably lawful to have a big house, isn't it? But for your average person, well, why do you need that? Having food and raiment, therewith we shall be content. And them that desire to be rich, what happens to them? Well, they burn in hell. They fall into a snare with all sorts of piercing desires and they drown themselves in perdition, Paul says. So that's not even a lawful prayer in itself. If you're just an average Joe, you don't need a big house. And if you name it and claim it, it might be God gives you exactly what you ask for because he hates you. So he's going to cast you down into hell by giving you what you want. He's done that in the Bible. They asked for God, will you please give us flesh? Did he give them flesh? Yes. And he also sent his wrath upon them together with the flesh. So it's not always good to get what we're asking of God. But when we ask according to his will, yes, there is a general promise of provision, which I may safely pray without qualification. But if I'm going to particularize that and I don't have a revelation of God's will to me, I had better say, if it be your will. We're supposed to even say that in our planning. If God wills, I'll go to do this. How much more when we come before him and make a request, if it be your will? Again, this rebukes the name it and claim it. Or somehow in our own little world trying to divine the providence of God so that we can know the secret decree of God and then make a request of him that he has to fulfill in our minds because obviously the providence of God has made it so. So Lord, you have to give me this thing. No, he doesn't. If there's no revelation of his will outstanding, you cannot make an absolute claim upon him. Is it revealed in scripture or is it not? If it is revealed, it is his will. And we'll see this when we look at the Lord's prayer. He's showing us what the will of God is. What may we safely pray for? Let us then know, let us learn, let us recall and pray with reference to God's revealed will. Let us pray under the direction of God's revealed will. Please turn to Luke chapter 11, page 1041. Luke chapter 11. We'll read verses 1 and 2. And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. And he said unto them, When ye pray, say, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, Thy will be done as in heaven, so in earth. Notice, 
This is as our Lord Jesus Christ was praying and when he had ceased. Christ, in other words, set an example of prayer that invited this interaction from his disciples. So one of his disciples, seeing our Lord pray, noticing he was finished, came with a request, Lord, teach us to pray, that we may pray properly. What is the form or the manner that we ought to pray? Teach us these things. We need instruction urgently. In fact, the form of the request, teach us, is the aorist imperative. Right now, please, urgently, we need to know this. We need a rule. We need a paradigm. We need a guide that we may pray as you pray. And not merely did they want to be informed. You can want to know something or be taught something just for your information. But notice, how do they say it? Lord, teach us to pray. Not just any old buddy. Hey, pal, can you show me how to pray? No, you are my Lord, my sovereign ruler. You are my lawgiver. Give me an authoritative guidance on prayer. That's what they're requesting. John did it for his disciples. How much more our Lord to teach his disciples. I note then this doctrine. Christ's disciples need an authoritative rule for prayer. Christ's disciples need an authoritative rule for their prayers. Something that may be taught. That's what they're asking. Lord, teach. This means to instruct. Give us knowledge. Give us understanding. How ought we to pray? And as we pursue this study in the Lord's Prayer, let us be ready to learn. Let us be ready to apply what we learn from our Master, Jesus Christ. If we would pray in his name, that is, under his authority, according to his will, let us learn and retain and practice the rule that he has taught us. That's what this is. Jesus will respond to this request for an authoritative rule for prayer, which binds not just the original disciples, but us even to this very day. And note verse 2. And he said unto them, that is, in response to this reasonable request and godly request, when ye pray or at whatever time or season, whatever occasion, whensoever you happen to be praying, say, and this is an imperative. An imperative is different from what we call an indicative. An indicative says, this is the case. In the mind of the speaker or the writer, they're telling you facts, they're addressing your mind. In an imperative, they're addressing your will. You must do this. And that's what, that is what Jesus says here. Say, this is what you must say. These are the words that you must use. This is an authoritative, lordly command, a rule for prayer, a form or manner of prayer issued by the Lord and head of his people. And you know, that's why we call it the Lord's Prayer. Not because Jesus has to pray, forgive us our debts, it's because the Lord taught his disciples to pray in this manner. The Lord taught authoritatively this manner of prayer. I note then this doctrine that aside from the general teaching of Scripture regarding God's will, 
Christ has given a special form of prayer to his disciples. Aside from this general teaching of Scripture regarding God's will, that we're to pray according to God's will, Christ has given a special form of prayer to his disciples. And as we shall see in explanation of this, the Lord's Prayer is certainly related to the will of God revealed throughout the Bible. That's what we're going to see. What we're taught to ask in the Lord's Prayer is nothing very much different, if at all different, from what we find as the revealed will of God. Think about it. God to be glorified and hallowed in his name. Is that something different from what God has revealed as his purpose for man or for the future? Has God revealed something different? No. What about his kingdom coming? Is there something different? No. He's revealed that his kingdom will come and now he's telling us to pray it. His will to be done in earth as it is in heaven, as he taught us that his will is our sanctification. Yeah. And that's how the will of God is done in heaven. We want it to be done on the earth. Has he promised to make provision for his people? Of course he has. Give us this day our daily bread. Has he promised the forgiveness of sins to them that repent? Yes, he has. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Has he promised that he will have the glory forevermore? Yes, he has. Has he promised to lead us out of temptation and take us from evil? Yes, he has. So he gives us these requests and we'll see this. The Lord's Prayer certainly relates to the promises and revelations of God given throughout the Bible. Let us then learn know, recall, and pray with reference to the Lord's will revealed in this special rule of direction. Remember the moral law, how did God deliver that? Well, he wrote it with his own finger. So the Lord's prayer, how did he deliver that? With his own mouth. God has given us these rules for our Christian lives. So let us learn to pray according to the categories of the Lord's prayer. Let us learn to use the words themselves as a prayer. And let us learn to frame our expectations, our hopes, our desires, our priorities, and our petitions according to its glorious simplicity and its divinity. Question 99 of our shorter catechism. What rule hath God given for our direction in prayer? The answer comes back. The whole word of God is of use to direct us in prayer, but the special rule of direction is that form of prayer which Christ taught his disciples, commonly called the Lord's Prayer.